Welcome to Where Work Meets Life. I'm Dr. Laura. I am a psychologist, business leader, author, speaker, and advocate. I'm passionate about bringing experts from around the world to you with a variety of topics at the intersection of where work meets life. I'm excited to be doing this podcast to educate, share knowledge, and raise awareness. Thank you for joining me, and I look forward to being here with you today. Today's topic is around work-life wellness and how we can stay resilient during these difficult and challenging times. My guest today is April Deirda. April is someone I met in 2013 and have been working with ever since. April is both a skilled counseling psychologist who is a provisional registered psychologist with Calgary Career Counseling and Synthesis Psychology, and she is also a workplace psychologist specializing in remote leadership and team development, and she coaches, trains, and develops leaders and people in organizations globally. April holds a Master's of Science degree in Counseling Psychology, as well as a Bachelor's of Psychology with honors. April's research has focused on career transitions and life transitions and how people can navigate these transitions in their lives. Thank you very much for being here today and your willingness to share your expertise with our viewers. So April, my first question for you today is what does the term work-life wellness mean and how does that compare to the more familiar term of work-life balance? Mm-hmm. It's a great question, actually, and I love that you say the familiar term of work-life balance because it is. It's sort of this buzzword that we hear all the time of work-life balance, and it's actually a term I'm trying to shy away from a little bit and move towards work-life wellness instead. Part of the reason being is because work-life balance implies just that, a, a balance, and you can imagine it almost as though it were a trade-off between one and the other. And it sets up this idea that work and life are competing priorities, that uh, we can't have both, that they conflict or uh, fight for our time. Whereas work-life wellness is quite the opposite. It's the idea that work and life can very much flow together and intermingle even, uh, perhaps energize each other. So it's more of this harmonious type of uh, integration is the word I like to use. Um, and ideally, in fact, your work and life in that way can fuel one another. That's interesting. And I love the word integration. Mm -hmm. So can integration mean that one is helping the other? And how does one help the other? Yeah, so the, that is actually the goal, I, I would say, is for work and life to uh, integrate in a way that they fuel the other. And so the idea is actually that your uh, time away from work should be such that you feel energized to return to work when that time comes, and vice versa. So you can find that the work you do actually fuels your ability to go home at the end of the day um, and, and live a life that feels full and fulfilling because 
work is such a huge part of our lives and it should fuel it uh, in a lot of ways. So that is the that is the goal is that work and life are not competing. They're they're energizing each other. And I love that word energy. So life energizing our work and bringing us renewed energy each day to go to work, however that may look. And then uh, work leaving us feeling that we have a positive energy left for our lives. And too often we're not seeing that. We see people get drained from work if they're not working in the area that Mm -hmm. they want to. Mm -hmm. Or feeling like they have to earn their their pleasure time or their free time as well when when really there should be no guilt in that it should be uh, very much a a wellness or or integration of the two yeah and i i see all too often people feeling guilt about working too much mm-hmm. or not spending enough time with their families um, and speaking of that how does your work contribute to helping people with their work-life wellness. How do you go about that as a psychologist? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways. Being that I work for a few different organizations, so with Work Evolution, um, doing more of the consulting stuff, we work for uh, organizations with teams and leaders um, across uh, all stages of, of an organizational structure. And then with my more personal counseling work at Calgary Career Counseling and Synthesis Psychology, we work more at the individual level. Now, work-life wellness can look different depending on whether you are um, one single person or an entire organization. So being able to operate at all of those different levels gives some really good perspective. Uh, And the focus of my work is really on the human elements of how to better work and life wellness. All too often when we work in organizations, we focus on Uh, more of the procedural types of things, but the human element of of work is is so key too. So that's where I live, is uh, in the human elements of of work and life. And interesting that you say that. How often do you think the human element is forgotten about in organizations? Mm -hmm. All too often, probably. So um, we know that the vast majority of employers, for example, don't offer training on how to uh, work well um, and that going beyond policy and procedure and those sorts of things. Now, we can't necessarily isolate work and life. And so the two are very much intertwined and intermingled. Um, And so to ignore those factors is actually detrimental on a, a business level. So we often have to make a business case for why it's so important to focus on wellness um, when really there is a, a bottom line financial benefit to it. Fascinating. And I wish more organizations uh, would see that. But can you share an example of how you've helped at an organizational level, um, whether it's with leaders or the organization as a whole, with becoming an organization that has greater wellness mm-hmm. and more of a priority on people's wellness. Yeah, so often it starts at the leader level. That's typically where we like to intervene uh, initially, just because there is so much influence at that level of the organization. And really it is about, uh, oftentimes I would use the word perspective forming. So broadening people's lens of what they see as being within their role as a leader. Oftentimes we see very good managers who are technically competent and skilled, but not quite uh possessing those leadership qualities, which extends 
quite often beyond their job description um, or the work that their people are doing. So we often train uh, in areas of trying to get people to concern themselves with the the broader picture of people's lives. Um, and we find uh, some really great outcomes from that. So for example, reductions in absenteeism, uh, reduced turnover, um, so when I go back to that business case, there's a, a major financial component to that, as well as increased engagement, um, innovation, creativity, and employee satisfaction goes up when people feel like there is that attention to their whole lives and not just them as workers. So they become a human being versus a human doing? Exactly. That's a great yeah. word for it. Yeah, I love that. I, I've heard that term before, and it, it really resonates because too often people are treated like numbers right Mm -hmm. like robots or producers and they bring with them this whole life that they have right their their family dynamics their beliefs the baggage that they carry the stress that they might have and we all have stress Mm -hmm. and we all have curveballs especially these days as the world becomes more complex and we're in a pandemic yeah and there's something to be said for the topic of vulnerability it's something i train on quite often this idea that you know as a leader for example you're not going to be perfect you're not going to know how to navigate something as foreign as you just mentioned a pandemic so there's a lot to be said for being vulnerable as a leader as a form of being able to establish relationships uh, human connection and empathy Mm-hmm. And that word empathy, how often do you think empathy is lacking? And how do you go about developing yeah. empathy? Yeah, that's a great question. And to answer the first part, very much so. It is very much lacking. It's something that when I do a call out to a group, for example, when I'm facilitating, I ask what they think of terms like empathy and vulnerability. The thing I see more often than not is Uh, weakness, right? It's synonymous with weakness. And so there's often a very cognitive barrier we have to get over with people to understand that vulnerability is actually uh, courage, it's humanness, right? And so what we've uh, focused on doing quite a bit of in our work is creating opportunities to put people first um, and to be able to connect on a human level. So even, for example, taking five minutes at the beginning of a meeting to check in with people uh, in the starting line of an email asking how someone's day is going. These are really simple practices that we don't realize have a massive effect on how we're able to connect with people and develop empathy for people. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely bang on and I think, especially during this time of challenge, it's more important than ever, which brings me to my next question about what has been the biggest challenge um, the pandemic has brought to people's work-life wellness, Mm -hmm. and how have you helped people overcome Mm -hmm. this challenge? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So for Work Evolution, we have been uh, in operation as an organization since around 2013, 2014. And uh, in those early days, we were often making a case for why it was important to have people working in an environment where they worked best, uh, getting people out of the office. And now everyone's in that situation. So it's a, it's a very bizarre time we're living in, and there's actually a lot of unique challenges that are presented by it. One being that working from home right now probably isn't ideal for a lot of people. So there's 
kids at home and our partners are working from home as well and we're there all of the time we're very much confined to our, our home workspace and so a lot of people are, are mentioning issues with what we would call uh, boundaries blurring between work and life it's a topic we offer training on at work evolution is blurred boundaries and what I'm finding is that we're doing a lot of work trying to create uh, psychological separation for people. So what, where there isn't any spatial separation in people's lives between work and home, we're actually having to impose psychological separation. So one of the tools we use is called making mental moves, being able to actually remove yourself cognitively from your work in order to remove yourself uh, more spatially from your work. So um, a good example of this would be a shutdown ritual at the end of your day. Something as simple as leaving your home and taking a walk and then returning back home after work creates enough of a psychological transition point, similar to a commute after work, uh, that you can come home and actually feel you can be at home in that situation. That is a great idea. And I remember being interviewed by the Boston Globe and it was about people were actually missing the commute time on the train or on the underground or whatever it was because they used that time to disconnect from work and reconnect with the rest of their lives Um, and those mental moves were so important to those people who were at home. It's um, fascinating, yeah. And I agree with you, at home is not for everyone, but it's definitely for a percentage of people, yeah. right? And Certainly, yeah, we've actually seen that in the research. So because uh, we're at a point now where we're seeing some of the long-term effects of COVID, we're finding that there's a lot of good data coming out at this point, a lot of research on how the workforce is going to look and change going forward. Uh, and something that we've come to know now is that about 60 to 70% of people uh, for their careers now plan to work from home at least part of the time uh, beyond COVID. So it really is restructuring the way we work and um, definitely showing that there's the ability and the interest to do so. Absolutely. So that hybrid model of work is an activity, not a place. Mm-hmm. And ideally, it's a mix mm-hmm. of home, office and other locations. Yeah, doing your work when and where you work best, which doesn't necessarily require a desk in an office building. Wonderful. Well, my next question for you, April, is we talked about challenges um, that the pandemic has brought uh, to us and to our work. Um, What have been some of the opportunities that the pandemic's brought around work-life wellness? And how have you been able to help people... Um, continue to improve their work-life balance or wellness despite the uncertainties? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of great benefits to this. And uh, one of the ones we see people mentioning most is exactly that, the integration. So I was doing a workshop just last week and the comments coming in from people were primarily around the ability to uh, very quickly and easily transition between work life and home life. So spending time with family over the lunch hour, 
um, being able to have enough time to be home for dinner at the end of the day. And for some people like myself, it's being able to sleep in a little bit because I don't have to drive to the office. So the integration piece is one of the, the most noticeable benefits for people. For businesses, what we actually do tend to see quite often is an increase in productivity. So we're noticing about a 10 to 30 percent increase in productivity among people who are able to to work uh, away from the office or where they work best. And uh, what we see then as a result of both of those things quite naturally is an increase in things like engagement, um, satisfaction and focus. Wonderful. Provided that you don't have little kids at home running around. <laughs> yeah, that can be a distraction, certainly. <laughs> and I yeah. think with the, you know, all the kids being at home back in March through June and some kids still home today, it does present an additional challenge for parents trying to work at home at the same time. Yeah. As participate in the education of their kids. So how have you supported people around that challenge Mm -hmm. yeah it's not ideal it's not a distraction-free environment for most people Uh, and that extends even for example to workspace so a lot of people have mentioned they're working in their basements or at their kitchen table and so sometimes it is about making the most of your situation Um, I've mentioned in almost all of my trainings recently that these are, are really novel times and it's uncharted territory that we're in right now. So to not expect yourself necessarily to be able to do this well uh, right off the bat. And again, going back to that concept of vulnerability, something we're talking about with a lot of the leaders we're training is uh, being transparent about the fact that this isn't an easy time to be working remotely. Uh, And so sometimes having that dialogue and being transparent in that way can be really valuable. And the other thing I recommend people use is what we would call focus zones. So being able to actually capitalize on those moments when you can be productive. If the kids, for example, are still in bed at 6 a.m. and you're up and you're working and you're starting your day, capitalize on that time. My focus zone's from 4 to 8 p.m., so I'm able to have my partner prepare dinner and I can close the door and get some work done. So it might not be the full day that you can be productive and engaged in your work, but if you can find a chunk of time where you're able to really focus and uh, get your work done and, and really engage in what you're doing, then capitalize on that it's not going to look like it did when you were in the office but having that flexibility can be really valuable absolutely and it's about energy management right it's about knowing your periods of focused energy Mm -hmm. versus the periods when you're more distractible or Mm -hmm. you're tired right and your brain isn't functioning as well that's a time to mindlessly plow through emails yes versus when you need to do something creative or write an article or do a report you want to do it during your a game time yes yeah so we're finding actually that's that's what a lot of people are saying is between the hours of 12 and 2 p.m would be a a bit of a, a low focus zone for people so the kids are hungry they're home they're wanting lunch you're into your afternoon lull and so the work day is actually being structured a little bit different than what we would normally see in the office. And uh, as an employer or a leader or manager, having the flexible mindset to be able to create space for that. Uh, and as an individual, having a flexible mind space to create space for that is really what we're seeing as being valuable during these times is that mental adaptability. 
Exactly. Now, what specifically could a leader do to help promote this in their people, help to make sure their people are staying resilient? Can you give me one or two things that a leader mm-hmm. or manager could do, April? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the first thing I say, and I get asked this a lot from leaders, actually, the first thing I tell everybody on this topic is to not expect yourself to be able to do this well right off the bat. Uh, As I mentioned, this is really unique, bizarre even times to be leading. And we find actually more often than not that the skills to be a really strong leader in the remote context are additional to what you'd need in the office. So it is a, a time of learning for a lot of people. And to be transparent about that is probably the most important thing. So to have a dialogue with people around your own limitations, or your own uncertainties can be valuable. It opens the door to a larger conversation And then to not expect yourself to know all the answers either. So knowing when to refer or who to refer to can often equip a leader with the confidence to step into an uncertain dialogue. So as a way to invite that conversation, something that I've been recommending people do is have what we would call a virtual coffee or a drive-by is another word that we use quite often at Work Evolution to have a a connection or a touch point with your people, whether it be over Zoom uh, with a cup of coffee in your hand or or a quick phone call. It's the ability to have a time to connect with maybe no intention, meaning that there isn't necessarily an objective for that conversation, at least professionally, but it opens the door to have a, a very honest and open dialogue with whoever your direct report might be and creating a space for them to to share. Um, and, and that we are finding is having really, really positive impacts on the relational dynamics, communication, and trust among teams. Mm-hmm. And too often, I think our first answer when we're asked, how are you doing, is good. <laughs> or busy. <laughs> busy. Busy or good, yeah. right? You get the one word, busy, good, well, yeah. you know, okay. Um, but it's digging deeper. Well, yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. So you've been busy. Tell me what, what's what been most challenging for you yeah. over the last week. And a lot of it is just that, right? This this curious stance is, is the word I use. Having a curious stance. We use that in therapy all of the time. But I think it has great applications uh, to organizational psychology as well. We know that the people who are perceived as being the best listeners are actually the ones who ask the most questions. Um, and we all too often feel we have to respond with an answer or advice. But but really, it's that curious stance that goes a long way. But would you think, April, that curiosity without empathy could be a dangerous combination? Because it's asking a bunch of questions, but not really showing empathy when the person begins to open up. Yeah, so there's a really intricate dance we see that goes on between uh, trust and relationships or communication. So oftentimes we have a little bit of both and it's called a a slow building or slow stacking is is the term that we often see in the literature. And so what actually is more important maybe than empathy is genuineness um, and and a level of vulnerability as well. Uh, Sometimes for people it's not natural to have those human conversations, uh, to feel like they're asking about people's personal lives or digging into what might be private. 
So it's typically a level of genuineness that we're looking for from, from people and that as being an element of building relationships rather than an artificial empathy. Exactly. I think if you have to fake empathy too much, it's not going to appear genuine and it's going to backfire. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's a tricky balancing act. I really like that word. It's yeah. You have to balance it? Or? Yeah, it's a slow stacking. Yes, yeah. slow, stacking. slow stacking. Yeah, it doesn't happen all at once. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But it can be developed. And I've worked with leaders who have been able to develop it. Mm-hmm. There's a great book by Brene Brown called Dare to Lead. And it talks about this topic exactly. And then she does some great work around how to slow stack uh, in the workplace. So Awesome. Yeah, love Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. She's really brought so much Yes. Yeah. And again, the human element, right? I think she works in the same space I do in that way. And sometimes you have to make a case for it because it's not natural for a lot of people, but certainly there is a a business case. And we're not trained as kids to be good listeners. No, not at all. (laughs) You know, we're trained. I mean, a lot of people are one uppers, right? Yes. You'll open up and say something and they're already thinking of the example from their own lives. Yes. Yeah. And they haven't given you any empathy or reflection that they've understood you they're onto their own example exactly and it's a it's a trap a lot of uh, leaders fall into as well because we're positioned as experts and so we imagine that that's the best thing we can do is provide expert advice and oftentimes we'll find the best advice we can give is actually when we focus more on listening than on responding to understand rather than be understood exactly what percentage of leaders in general do you think could improve their active listening skills? A hundred percent. Even me. Yeah. Yeah. I often test people on this actually, you know, asking people whether they've fallen into listening traps and uh, every single person in every room I've been in has raised their hand when they've mentioned they've uh, fallen into a a listening trap and it's well intentioned usually but uh we could all benefit from some training <laughs> exactly i'm trying to teach my kids it just to say how was your day right and it's so unusual to hear a kid say that that when our kids say it people are caught off guard right yeah um, but then i'm training them you gotta listen to the answer yeah and you can't <laughs> ask me that question when i'm tucking you in at night so how was your day mom <laughs> you know it's just becomes a, a habit, a habit. i think it's a habit that we can nurture way better in kids yeah would you agree i would definitely agree yeah and and what a great time to develop that skill right we are never taught taught to listen and in fact upwards of 40% of communication is listening. So why not start young? And that's why I love the saying that God gave you two ears and one mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not 10 mouths and one ear. Well, and the idea too, that we don't learn anything without listening. So if we're really steadfast on sharing our opinion on something and not listening, it really hinders things like innovation and and creative problem solving. and, And that can be huge for any type of relationship, but especially business and professional ones. Exactly. So well put. So what would be your top recommendations to others who are trying to achieve better work-life wellness? (laughs) Just one. Uh, How about three? 
Three. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a bit of a personal counseling approach to answering this first and say that uh, something I often use in therapy is observation, uh, first and foremost. So to notice, for example, when you feel most energized in your day, uh, when, when do you feel as though you're most engaged in what you're doing? And this could be both in personal life and professional life. We actually have a really great tool that we've developed through Work Evolution, and it's a work-life wellness assessment. So it's accessible on our blog or through our website, and people can actually go through and score themselves on their work-life wellness. And it's a really great reflective activity to do those sorts of things and notice what feels like it's going really well or what feels like it's draining you. Uh, The interesting thing too is we often have uh, a misalignment between what we think is going to energize us and what actually energizes us. So that observation technique can be really valuable to identify what you really should be spending your time doing. The greatest limitation to work-life wellness is not a lack of time. A lot of people feel like, well, I don't have enough time in my day to fit in everything I need to, but it's a lack of being able to spend your time where it's most valuable or most energizing for you. We should actually end our day feeling um, quite driven and, and quite fueled rather than completely drained as many of us do. So that type of observation can be really, really valuable. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Some water. Speaking of work, life, wellness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get some water in you. So what are your thoughts on people, you know, in their evening routine that can help either hinder or grow their work-life wellness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, their evening, sleep, you know, can you speak to any of those habits that we've developed? Netflix addiction? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, certainly, right? I think with, uh, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, there's a lot of really interesting stuff we're seeing about people's routines uh, that have been impacted by this. So one of the major issues that a lot of people will mention is difficulties shutting down at the end of their day. And this can affect things like uh, work-life wellness, of course, but as you mentioned, sleep as well. So we see what we would call spillover effects or carryover effects, where work tends to bleed into life. And then what you end up seeing is an inability to recharge and re-energize. And then we find ourselves edging towards things like burnout, uh, because we're not able to find that separation or those boundaries anymore. So something that uh, has been really helpful for me, even personally, is turning off alerts, for example. So there's a really interesting psychological effect that we see happen for people when you get an alert on your phone or an email notification come through. It creates a sense of urgency, and that's actually been designed that way uh, to grab your attention. And so quite often when we find we're unable to shut down and leave work at the end of the day, it's because we have those constant reminders of work. So one of the, the good recommendations for that would be to to pause the alerts on your devices, to, to go into do not disturb mode, or even for some people who have a hard time shutting off, letting people know when you can get back to them, if not immediately. So it gives you permission then to step away. And more often than not, the sense of urgency we get from our work is due to those notifications, not actual urgency. So it's very often a psychological uh, barrier we have to get over rather than a work barrier. 
And I think someone else's urgency or emergency is not your emergency. For sure. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, it's about that communication. So a lot of times when we're working remotely, we do have to practice overt communication. Um, Sometimes it feels like over communication because we don't always have those signals anymore of when people are available, right? We can't see them at their desk, for example. So practicing that overt communication, letting people know your priorities, letting people know what you're working on or when you can get back to them does create some greater synchronicity and efficiency in communication and again gives you permission to focus on what's important to you in that time. Wow, you've shared so many great recommendations, April, that I think whether you're in uh, entrepreneurial organizations, a large enterprise, whether you're working from home, whether you're a volunteer, I mean, any of these recommendations apply as we're trying to juggle multiple hats. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow, thank you for those. Um, what's been your own personal greatest challenge with your own work-life wellness? And do you practice what you preach, April? <laughs> I feel like I should say yes, but in the sake of being vulnerable, I'm going to say no, not always. Um, I think the big thing for me is being able to value my personal time like I value my professional time. Uh, learning again that work-life wellness is about that integration and energizing rather than a trade-off between work and life. So I used to feel very much as though I had to earn my rest time and I couldn't you know sit at home guilt-free at the end of the day without having work on the back of my mind. So it's really been a conscious act for me recently, especially working from home and the fact that work is very much in my space quite often to be able to feel like I can step away from that. And knowing that it's going to make me a more productive and efficient worker at the end of the day. So something we know um, through research too is that people actually end up accomplishing more in their day when they take breaks. So uh, one thing a lot of people have mentioned they've struggled with when working from home is taking a break uh, in their day like they would have maybe been forced to in the office. And when you measure productivity, we actually see it increasing quite dramatically when people do provide themselves a pause in their day. So a technique I've been using personally is to schedule in blocks of time to my day uh, to just say do not book in my calendar or using the term project time and creating space literally in my day for myself. Uh, the idea being that what gets scheduled gets done and uh, again creating a little bit more uh, wellness in my day-to-day routine. Mm-hmm. And even going out for a walk and fresh air which is often easier from our home office because then exactly. we're not in the concrete jungle where, yes. where some of us work, right? <laughs> exactly. Far more pleasant to take a a walk uh, in suburbia if you do live in suburbia yeah well, in and, the concrete jungle and even using that during work time too right walking meetings is something we've talked a lot about in our work and being able to to do both again right if you're focusing on work-life wellness and integration there's space for that and and why not capitalize on it? yes i love walking meetings get the <laughs> steps get the meeting done and it's amazing how much clearly you th- more clearly you think when you're walking yes. and getting fresh air. Yes, there's a lot to be said for being outside of a building uh, to provoke uh, and stimulate actually parts of your brain that we don't see get activated otherwise. 
um, yeah, those creative centers of the brain really flourish when we're outdoors. Absolutely. Except when it's 30 below. True. We only have a couple more months of that, maybe, if we're lucky. <laughs> and then we're in survival mode. Yes. <laughs> then we're hunkering down. <laughs> um, what if you didn't need to sleep and you could use that additional, let's just say eight hours mm-hmm. of time each day to do whatever else you wanted? What would you do? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, being outdoors, I think uh, my happy place is in nature. So, you know, again, getting back to that idea of just lighting up the brain and uh, being able to be outdoors and that I'd probably spend my time uh, exploring and uh, being in the mountains. I just feel so refreshed and, and energized after doing that. So yeah, thinking back to the idea of what behaviors in your work and life energize you, that that would be one of them for me. Lovely. Yeah, I'm picturing you hiking during the days and working all night. Yes, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it you. would be. <laughs> if you could have one wish for a better world, April, when it comes to work and life, what would it be? I think it would be for people to actually give themselves permission to have work-life wellness, to believe and feed the idea that, that they can actually be in harmony uh, rather than these competing parts of our lives we are we are whole people and and work and life just fit into that picture they're they're not these um, separate parts of who we are that take away time from each other Uh, rather they should be fueling each other so if I could have one shift it would actually be a change in perspective probably um, so that people are able to really see their work in life as being things that uh, can work together for them rather than against each other. Excellent. Wow, what great insights you've shared today. And so much stood out for me, April. I think that you've given insights for people around their working lives, their home lives and and the routines. And I think uh, people are more like rechargeable batteries than computers. Mm-hmm. I like that analogy because people need to recharge. Um, they're not like a computer, like when I think of my laptop, leave it on all the time. <laughs> I don't recharge it enough or reboot it enough. Um, and oftentimes we think that we're like that, that we have endless energy and that we can just go, go, go. And the brain is much like a muscle that needs to relax and mm-hmm. stretch and uh, have a break from work and from the computer and from the phone yes. and from the iPad. And I think that you've brought up really good points about boundary setting, about having permission to recharge. And I love your word of refuel. It is. It's like refueling a car. The car is another analogy. You need to fill it with gas, and the gas may mean a walk. It may mean a yoga class. It may mean lunch with your kids. Mm-hmm. It may mean a hike in the beautiful mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw a quote recently, and it was just at that idea, if you don't make space for wellness in your life, you have to make space for illness in your life. So it, it is very much like fueling that car or getting it tuned up rather than waiting till it breaks down to, to deal with it. And that that is... Wow, I'm going to remember that quote, actually. Mm -hmm. If you avoid work-life wellness, you're making space to become ill, and the body will speak, right? Mm -hmm. The body 
will let you know. It will shut down. It will become inflamed. Whatever it looks like, you'll be more vulnerable to getting sick. And throughout the pandemic, what isn't brought up enough is what do we do to boost our immunity? So that if we get sick, we can fight it off easily, right? Mm -hmm. What are we doing about our health? Mm -hmm. And uh, anxiety, worry, stress, fear, all of this weakens our immune system and makes us more vulnerable to COVID or whatever other coronavirus or whatever uh, bacterial infection, whatever. Um, We need to really consider that we can strengthen our immunity, by doing these wellness activities. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for being proactive when it comes to mental health and physical health and and well-being in our lives. And a lot of uh, what I will encourage people to do quite often when you think about boundaries, for example, is to focus on what you can control. So there's no denying that the time we're living in right now is is very anxiety-provoking, very uncertain, and and it can cause a, a lot of people to focus on what they can't control, what is uncertain. And a big part of what can be very valuable is focusing on what you can control in your life and making sure your energy and your time is focused on those pieces of of who you are in work and in life so that you do have that sense of meaningfulness which is often brought about by feeling like we are confident in the life we're leading and, and having control over those outcomes wonderful so again lots of insights today thank you so much for your time and for sharing a lot with us from your field from your counseling psychology experience from your consulting around workplace psychology Um, thanks for sharing what work evolution does Mm -hmm. um, and and all your work it's just so fascinating and i think you're making a real difference in the world april thank you so much i appreciate it thank you for being where work meets life thank you so much for joining us today If you found this content useful, please share with others who may benefit and engage with us on social media. In the podcast summary, you'll find links to my psychology practices, Work Evolution, Canada Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology for more detailed information, articles, and tips. I hope you have a wonderful, healthy day, and thank you for joining us.